Good morning. I've been blessed by this message as the Lord has helped me prepare it, and I hope that today you'll be blessed by it as well. I have been in heating and air conditioning for almost 29 years. I was homeschooled and my dad owned his own HVAC company. I began to go on jobs with him when I was 11 years old. By the time I was 14, I almost could do the entire job by myself. By the time I was in my 20s, I was one of the best techs in the area. Even now, as Matt helps me with my business, I still decide how to do the job most of the time on the fly. It has become quite easy for me to overcome problems as they arise. I am greatly confident, almost too much so sometimes, in the trade that I have done for so long. Changing gears a little bit now, I was saved by the grace of God when I was six years old. Now, if you're keeping track, that means that I've been a child of God for five years longer than I've been an HVAC technician. So I should be a pro, right? Instead, I find it to be a daily struggle to follow Jesus. I continually fail spiritually. I am very much like Jonah in that way. I always begin by telling the Lord things like, no, or maybe later. Or you have waited this long, what is a little longer going to matter? Does that sound like any of you here this morning? See, we all fail the Lord. We are failing him even when we are completely unaware that we are. Fortunately, we serve a loving and gracious God whose steadfast love endures forever. If you have your Bibles with you today, I'd like you to turn with me to the Gospel of John. We're going to be looking at chapter 16, verses 25 through 33. And if you don't have your Bible, I'm always harping about cell phones. So in front of you is one of our pew Bibles. You can get out one of those, and we're going to be looking at page 1073 in your pew Bible. About halfway down the page, verse 25. These are Jesus' words. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you. Because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world. And now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. 
I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Let us pray this morning. Dear Father in heaven, we come before you today thankful for your mercy. Father, we come to you thankful for your grace. Lord, thank you that we can come to your house and worship you. Lord, I pray that you will bind Satan, keep him from this place so that we can focus on what you have for us. Father, let us that have ears, let us hear. Then, Lord, I ask that we would be doers of your word and not hearers only. Lord, I pray that you will help me to be faithful to your word. Fill me with what you have for me to say. Lord, as your word says in Isaiah 66, may we come before you humble and contrite in spirit, and may we tremble at your word. I ask all these things in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. So in our passage today, we are looking at Jesus' last teaching before he goes to the cross. This is the conclusion, if you will, of the final discourse that began in John chapter 13 with Jesus washing the disciples' feet. John 17 verse 1 begins with, When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven. And then we have the high priestly prayer recorded in John 17. He is with the 11 disciples. You remember that when we looked at chapter 15, it was during Jesus' teaching about abiding in him and loving one another that Judas Iscariot was betraying him for 30 pieces of silver. All of the disciples, however, are about to fail spiritually. The disciples are about to desert Jesus at his time of greatest need. Verse 32 of our text, Jesus says, Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. But even earlier that night, Jesus had foretold of Peter's denial in John 13, 36 through 38. Let me read that for you. Verse 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. In verse 38, Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. The good news this morning is that the disciples' failure didn't have to be final, and neither does ours. There are many times in our lives that we will lose the battle, but we do not have to lose the war. Amen? There you go. I almost heard you. Jesus has the answer. Jesus is the answer in verse 33. He has gone before us, but take heart, Jesus says. I 
have overcome the world. I want us to take a closer look at this passage. I want us to draw out some points that we can apply to our own lives. I want us to look at five things this morning that we can have hope in as we learn to follow Jesus. Because if you think you've learned to follow Jesus, you're wrong and you're in the right place because this is where we learn how. My first point is this. There is hope in Christ for future spiritual growth. Verse 25, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. Now, as I said earlier, this is Jesus' last teaching before he goes to the cross. He is with the 11 disciples. Now, these are the men that claim to love him. And they have followed him the last three years. Jesus spoke to them in figurative speech most of the time. An excellent example of this is John chapter 2 and verse 19. Now this is after Jesus had cleansed the temple. And the Jews are challenging Jesus for what he has done. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple. And in three days I will raise it up. Now if you remember the story... The Jews said that it took 46 years to build the temple. How could it be raised up in three days? But see, Jesus was speaking figuratively here. He was not talking about the temple in Jerusalem. He was talking about the temple of his body. Then in verse 22 of chapter 2 it says, When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. See, the disciples did not understand what Jesus was saying at the time, but they understood afterward. There are many more examples like this, but often the disciples did not understand what Jesus was saying. Sounds a bit like us, doesn't it? John 10, 6 says, This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So in verse 25 of our text this morning, Jesus is promising a time when he will speak plainly to them about the Father. Jesus is promising a time when they will get it. Amen? I like to get it. In John 13, 7, it says, Jesus answered him. Now he is answering Peter when he asks why Jesus is washing his feet. What I am doing now, you do not understand. But afterward, you will understand. How many times in our own lives are we confused? How many times do we not get it, if you will? Whether it be circumstances in our lives or a passage of Scripture, but I have more good news. Jesus will always give us clarity. Luke 24, 45 says this, Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. But I do have a question. Why doesn't God just make scripture more clear? Why does Jesus use figurative language at all? 
For starters, I want to give you a quote from John Calvin. In his commentary on this section of scripture, he says this. Thus, God permits us to be stupefied for a time in order to humble us by a conviction of our own poverty. But those whom he enlightens by his spirit, he causes to make much progress that the word of God is known and familiar to them. I referenced it earlier as I prayed, but I do want to draw our attention to the last part of Isaiah 66.2. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. The language here for contrite is a brokenness. It is being broken by the spirit and by the word of God and melted by the love and grace of God. Furthermore, if God used plain language and made it easy to understand, we would still sin. You're like, oh man, I thought I had a way out. Not today. We'd still sin. Example, Adam and Eve in the garden. God told them plain as day not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There was no figurative speech used here at all. Let's take a look at that. Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. Doesn't sound figurative to me. It sounds like a very, very plain command. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. He told them what not to do and what would happen if they did it. Very, very plain. So what did Adam and Eve do? They ate from it. Now, before we get too self-righteous and point a finger at Adam and Eve, I guarantee that we would have done the same exact thing. Or we might be prideful. We would read the Bible and be like, yep, <laughs> I got it, as we pat ourselves on the back. There would be no need to seek his face for guidance and understanding. See, God wants us to seek him. Matthew 7, 7, seek and you will find. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. God wants us to humble ourselves and call out to him. Then he will show us in his perfect time. He will show us when we are actually ready, Dan. Not when we think we are ready. And he will not give us more than we can handle. John 16, 12 says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. This makes me think of a child. When you take your newborn home from the hospital, you always have the baby drive because you're tired, right? No, of course not. That's insane. You don't do that. You must do everything for that child. But as that child grows, you can begin to teach him or her new things. As parents, we even try to hold our child back from something as long as possible, even if they are ready because we love them and we want to protect them. Hear my words, child. 
Now I want you to compare for a moment our broken love that is tainted with sin to our Heavenly Father's perfect, steadfast love that is without end. He will not give us more than we can bear. See, then the glory goes to God where it belongs. The entire point of Jesus' ministry was to show us the Father. We can only know the Father through the Son. Matthew eleven twenty seven. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. The second thing we can have hope in this morning, don't worry, all my points are not as long as the first one. There is hope in our gift of prayer. And I would go as far as to call it a privilege. There is hope in our privilege of prayer. I want us to look again at verse 26. Now, it ties in so beautifully with verse 27, it's hard for me to cut them apart. But I want to just look at verse 26. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. <laughs> See, it makes you want to go into verse 27 with the, the Father himself loves you, doesn't it? But we'll get there. Hang on. Jesus has repeatedly told the disciples to ask of the Father in his name. John 14, 13. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Again, in John 15, 16, Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. There are many more verses I could take you to, but the point here is that we are to ask of the Father in the name. Of Jesus Christ. Now asking in Jesus' name doesn't mean you aren't getting direct access to the Father. We're not working our way up. In fact, it is the name of Jesus that grants us this access. Ephesians 2.18, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Hebrews chapter 4, first part of verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Verse 27 of our text, I know I've been waiting for this, says, the Father himself loves you. Now this also does not mean that Jesus is not continually making intercession for us with, with the Father. Romans 8.34 says, who is to condemn Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Friends, that is what in Jesus' name means. He pleads his blood on our behalf. Praise God. We can come to the Father because of who Jesus is. Jesus says in John chapter 14 and verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. See, Jesus gives us an in with the Father. One more quote from John Calvin. He says this. This is a remarkable passage by which we are taught, now I want you to hear this, that we have the heart of the Heavenly Father as soon as we have placed before Him the name of His Son. Wow! The heart of the Heavenly Father. We get access to the Almighty God in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. If that doesn't set you on fire, your wick is wet. And Jesus can dry it out for you. How many times when we fail do we feel like we can't pray? I know all too well what this feels like. My heart is heavy with conviction. I'm ashamed. Satan is right there telling me I'm not good enough. That I'm not worthy. But guess what? None of us are worthy. But we have Jesus. We can go directly to the Father who loves us. And he will hear us because of Christ's finished work on the cross. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ. We can come to the Father through his Son, Jesus, and confess our sins. 1 John 1.9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us, and he cleanses us, from all unrighteousness. The third thing we can have hope in this morning is the Father's love and grace. For the Father, for verse 27, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Are you kidding me? There's this much good news in this sermon. It excites me. For the Father himself loves you. Let that sink in for a moment. The Father loves you. This ignites my very core. It causes my soul to leap for joy. The Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the great I Am, the creator of all things, loves me. He loves you. Amen? Praise the Lord. My finite mind has trouble grasping this truth. The amount of scripture to back this up is astounding. And we simply don't have the time to go through all the verses I wish we could go through. However, for me to be faithful, I feel compelled 
to share two of them. Rick knows this one. John 3.16. Amen, brother. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Next, we have 1 John 1.3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. Now that list could go on and on, but I want to bring our attention back to verse 27. I want to address here that the Father's love is not conditional. Some may look at this verse and say that the Father himself loves us because we have loved him. Now that is how it reads in our English Bible. However, the word because should actually come before the Father himself loves me. It is because the Father himself has loved you that you have loved me. 1 John 4.10 says, And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. For those listening today who do not know what propitiation means, it simply means atonement. Jesus Christ is the atonement for our sin. He is the perfect payment. The perfect sacrifice. One more verse, short and sweet, just nine verses later in chapter 4 of 1 John we read, We love because he first loved us. My point is simply this. The Father loves us in spite of us. Not because we have loved him. He chose us before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1, 4, and 5, we are taught that even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. I'm just full of good news today. Just full of it. In our text this morning, Jesus is giving credit to men for loving him who are about to be scattered. We see that in verse 32. What an amazing example of Jesus' grace. I want to take just a moment to discuss the parable of the prodigal son. Now remember, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. You can find this story in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. Now I'm not going to read it, but I do want to point out a couple of key things. See, in this story, the younger of two sons goes to his father and demands his inheritance. His father gives him his inheritance, and then the son goes out into the world and squanders it away. He ends up working in the field, eating slop with the pigs because he is starving. He decides that being one of his father's hired servants would provide for him a better lifestyle than he is currently living. 
So in the story, the son sets out to go find his father and seek his forgiveness. But the Bible says that when he was afar off, his father runs to him and kisses him, puts on him one of his best robes, and calls for a celebration at the return of his son. When we humble ourselves, friends, and we return to our Heavenly Father, He doesn't give us a lecture. He throws a party. The Father is patiently waiting for us to confess our sins and come back to Him. I can't help but think of the song, You're a good, good Father. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. To me, one of the greatest motivating factors of being a Christian is living in the love and grace of our Heavenly Father. The fourth thing we can have hope in this morning is God's sovereign plan of salvation. Verse 28, I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. See, Jesus coming from the Father is a declaration of his divinity. Jesus was not just another man or another teacher. Jesus Christ was and is the Son of the Almighty God. Amen? You guys don't do it, I'll just keep calling for it. It's cool. Amen, brother. Jesus returning to the Father is yet another declaration of his finished work, our salvation. I much appreciate how Leon Morris says it. He says this, here we have the great movement of salvation. It is a twofold movement from heaven to earth and back again. Christ's heavenly origin is important, else he could not be the Savior of men. But his heavenly destination is also important, for it witnesses to the Father's seal on the Son's saving work. 1 Corinthians 1.30, listen up. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. John 1.14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Then you come back to John 1.1, and we see that the Word was God, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus Christ is God. God is Jesus Christ. They are one. Now this could easily trail off into a teaching of the Trinity, but that's not what we're doing today. We're focused on verse 28 and God's sovereign plan of salvation. See, it is His plan, not ours. Romans 5, 8 tells us that, but God showed his love for us 
and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It goes on in verse 10 to say that we were enemies of God. While we were still enemies of God, Christ died for us. How many of your enemies have you died for? None, because you're here. I didn't give you a lot of ways around that one. Jesus came to earth and lived a sinless life. He was crucified on the cross and shed his precious blood to pay the penalty for our sins. Then Jesus arose on the third day from the grave. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. If anyone here today does not know for certain that their eternal hope is in Jesus Christ, please don't leave this place until you have spoken to someone. You know, like he's done? No, I'm just giving you a chance to get saved now. There is nothing more important or of more value that you can do than give your heart to Jesus. See, there we go. Now you may be saying, well, I got to pay my mortgage and I got to do this and I got to pay that and what's for lunch and is Don ever going to get done? Listen to me. There is nothing more important or of more value that you can do than give your heart to Jesus Christ. That is my prayer. My last point and we'll close. There is hope because our peace is in Jesus. This is where I want to leave us. Jesus knew that the disciples would betray him and be scattered. God knows our failures. He knows our sins. God knows the sins we commit in public just as he knows the ones we commit in private, behind closed doors. Maybe it's a sin that never even leaves your head, an impure thought, thinking badly about someone else. He knows the times we should have stood boldly for him against the forces of darkness, but instead in cowardice, ran away. In case at this point you just think I'm yelling at you, I'm yelling at myself. I am riddled with sin. I am full of unrighteousness. Romans 3.10 tells us that as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. The Lord knew all of this, my friends. And yet in his steadfast love, he still chose us. John 1.12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Christian, I hope this means something to you this morning. I hope it stirs your heart to make you want to hunger and thirst after Jesus Christ. 
Jesus says in verse 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Friends, if you don't know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you died today that you would go to heaven, I beg you, please don't leave this place until you have spoken with someone. Maybe you're sitting here today and maybe you know Jesus. Maybe you know you're on your way to heaven, but your relationship is broken with the Father. Maybe there's some sin that you've been hoarding that is causing a rift in your relationship with him. Confess your sin. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin, and he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Return to him like the prodigal son. You can know today for certain that your peace is in Jesus. Let's pray. Dearly Father, thank you. Father, thank you so much for the gift of your Son. Father, thank you for your plan of salvation. Father, I pray that you will remove the stubbornness from our hearts. I pray that if anyone here today is being pulled by your Holy Spirit, help them to come to you. Getting out of that pew is the hardest part. Father, I ask that your conviction on their heart will be more than they can resist. Do not let them leave this place until they have placed their faith and hope in Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Father, I ask that today, this very morning, they would know the peace we can only have through your precious Son. And it is, it is with newfound respect, Father, that I ask all these things in the highly exalted name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.